This podcast is brought to you by Switchboard. Students and alumni expect more support from their alma maters, and giving and engagement goals are more ambitious than ever. Team Switchboard's experts can help you adapt. Switchboard designs their training and consulting packages and case award-winning engagement platform to meet your needs and get real results. Switchboard partners with institutions of all shapes and sizes, from Bowdoin College to the University of Alberta and everything in between. Visit switchboardhq.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Logan Bishop. And I'm Jackie Vitrano, and we're the co-hosts of Higher Ed Social, part of the Connected You network of podcasts. You're listening to Advancement Legends, the career stories of engagement and fundraising professionals in higher education. And now here's Ryan with today's show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Advancement Legends podcast. I'm Ryan Catherwood. This week, a follow-up interview to last week's interview with Andy Shanlin. Part two, we look at engagement metrics, and we spend about a whole hour talking about it. We get into the weeds on why we're measuring engagement metrics, how things were different years ago, what were the implications when marketing and communications elements, social media began part of our everyday work in the alumni office. We think about what is the role of engagement metrics when it comes to the needs of advancement vice presidents. We talk about alumni network platforms and why we use them and how they can impact engagement data. Hope you'll enjoy this interview with Andy Shanlin. This is the last interview of season two. Thanks to my friends at Switchboard for making this episode of the podcast possible. I hope you enjoy my interview with Andy Shanlin. All right. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to part two of this conversation with Andy Shanlin. We were realizing at the end of our last conversation that you know we could spend a whole another hour talking about engagement metrics, and so we're going to do that uh, today on this episode of the podcast. Andy, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks uh, for inviting me back. I really appreciate it. Well, let's get us going thinking about engagement metrics. I was sort of thought, we, Andy, we could just talk a little bit m- more broadly about why it is that we need a whole another hour to talk about engagement metrics. You know. What are sort of the big overarching challenges that we face when we're thinking about our conversation, but then the work that we do? Yeah, well, I think of it um, sort of with a bit of a historical context, and we can talk if you want in a minute about the the sort of the evolution of the conversation over the years about metrics. But, you know, very broadly and at its most basic level, if you start from the premise that alumni engagement takes place in organizations that are businesses. That is, they have revenue streams, they have expenses, they have target audiences, they have employees. You're uh, well advised, I think, to perform business functions to ensure that you're being efficient and that you're being effective. And one of those things is measuring the results of your work. And so for some historical reasons, which we can talk about, that wasn't always a concern for a long time in alumni relations. But in the last decade or so, it's become much, much, much more of a concern because there is a more systematically business-like framework for thinking about the work that we do. And um, therefore, there's a, a sort of a business-like approach to thinking about how to assess that work. Yeah. And that, take, that takes the form of, of metrics and, and measurements. Right. So let's go back. You know, you've, you've had a wonderful set of experiences at um, your alma mater, Brown, at University of Michigan, Caltech, Carnegie Mellon. 
Hmm. And so all these different groups were, were thinking about, you know, return on investment in different ways. And um, tell me a little bit about some of the evolution in that in this area over the last five, 10 years ago. Well, I'll, I'll go back more than 10 years. I'll go back 29 years there we go. <laughs> to the first year I worked in alumni relations, which was 1989 at my alma mater, as you said. I worked with uh, one other a colleague. Uh, we sort of split up the alumni clubs. And, um, you know, we had a few dozen active alumni clubs around the country and a, a few overseas. And they did events and uh, alumni were invited to those events. And our main function was just helping them to plan and execute and sometimes planning and executing for the alumni in these different cities, those events. Mm -hmm. And the metrics were really simple. They were basically, you know, how many events are you doing and how many people came to those events? Those were like the, the two sort of primary tests of your effectiveness. So if you did 100 events one year and you could do 110 the following year, you were considered to be 10% more effective than the year before. And then as a bonus, the sort of qualitative metric was, you know, how did it go? And, and you hear to this day, you still hear people saying, well, we know we're doing a good job because everyone seemed happy. And, uh, you know, no one got hurt. We didn't have to call the paramedics during dinner to perform the Heimlich maneuver. So the event was a success, you know. And it was a pretty low bar from a business standpoint in terms of what you were measuring. But if you could do the number of events you planned and you could get the number of bodies in the seats that you uh, had targeted, then that was just all it really took. Mm -hmm. um, I think it really shifted dramatically 10 or 11 years ago when we had the financial crisis and a lot of institutions suddenly realized they maybe didn't have the flexibility and the freedom to be as generous as they had in the past with some of their budgets, that high overhead functions like events were looked at with a lot more scrutiny. And people started to ask a lot more questions of the expenditure, both in, in staff positions and in terms of the actual execution of the events themselves. So there was a much more competitive environment for submitting your annual budget request and having your, your program area funded by the vice president or whoever was pulling the purse strings. And that's when we started to ask, I think, as a profession, how do we know what the return is on the investment in each program area that we are funding with our, our scarce advancement budget dollars? Would, would you say it's, it's fair to say that this corresponded in history with sort of the rise of social media, the way that we were interacting with our stakeholders, all of a sudden we thought to ourselves, oh, here's Facebook. We should be measuring social media and all these other touch points that occur in the digital space. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think your, your point is, is actually important because the advent of digital engagement more generally, even before social media, if you go back sort of to Web 2.0, you know, so Web 1.0 was where you just took all this information that you had somewhere printed and you put it on the web mm -hmm. and then people could read it, but they couldn't interact with it. Web 2.0 was sort of the advent of this interactive capability where people could go to a website and, you know, like they could go to the Alumni Futures blog and then they could not only read what I had to write, they could leave a comment saying what they thought about that topic and somebody could reply to them and so on. And these types of digital interactions lend themselves to being tracked numerically. And so the idea that you had um, at first the sort of Web 2.0 and then, as you point out later, the social media 
interactions gave you something easy to count that you could say, look, we sent the email newsletter and it actually uh, reported to us how many people opened it. And then it reported how many people clicked on that first link and came to our website. And then these kinds of metrics did, in fact, drive both the awareness and the desire for quantitative assessment of alumni interactions. And so I think now that I think about it, I hadn't really thought about it this way before, but now that I hear you say that and I think about it a little, I, I feel like maybe we got sucked into the vortex of quantitative uh, <laughs> measurement because we got caught up with these metrics of how many people are following us on Twitter and, and how many likes did we get on Facebook and how many you know hits on the website. Remember what that used yeah. to be like <laughs> in 2006, it was like, you know, how many hits on the website? You know, I got this many page hits. That was like the number one metric. And nobody knew who was looking at the page or what happened when they looked at it, but we just knew what the number was and that's what we reported. Mm -hmm. And I think in a way that probably kind of sums up how we got into this quantitative effort that, that we're sort of in the middle of today. Now for a word from our sponsor. Here's Mara Zapeta, CEO of Switchboard. We do a tremendous amount of training and services. So in addition to the platform, we do a lot of coaching and training. We do day-long workshops to help your teams to align around the metrics and motivations of your community. We do week-long boot camps that can help to align your teams around engagement and creating a strategy. We help with implementation if you're struggling with any other software and you're not quite sure how to develop a strategy for it and it's been underperforming. We help you think through what that strategy might look like. And then we also have the on-site higher education innovation fellows and we do coaching as well. So we have a team of professionals that come from higher ed that are just really excited to coach and train and provide a roadmap to success. Let's circle back just a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, really what we've discovered is this clash of these two important pieces of the puzzle, right? The first is that we've got this tradition of tracking events and attendees, and we're good at that. We've done it for a long time. And now we've got this web-based, you know, this whole area of our work that's expanding rapidly around digital engagement, social media, websites, and, and how alumni teams are deploying in order to best reach stakeholders on the web. And we've been trying to figure out how to collect metrics that reflect our work across these all these areas, including volunteerism, right? And yeah. and other things. And so so let's sort of start to get like bring us forward to kind of modern day here. And what are the engagement metrics that we should be tracking right now? Yeah, I have a really simple sort of framework for thinking about it. I, I don't think um and I know we can get into this in, in a few minutes if you want. I don't think there's sort of a standard set that automatically applies to every type of organization or institution. I think that what you track depends on what you're trying to accomplish with your program. And what that implies is that you have a, a strategic plan. So for me, and this may have come out in our first conversation, for me, I'm, I'm sort of a, uh, a repetitive about this, but everything comes back to, do you have an alumni engagement strategy? Do you have a roadmap that tells you three years from now where you expect to be and what objectives or goals you would have to achieve in order to fulfill your mission statement. And assuming you have that or that you can develop that, you work backwards from those outcomes to determine 
what would represent progress against what you said you were in business to accomplish in the first place. So different kinds of organizations will have different metrics, but what they should do is illustrate progress towards the outcomes that are at the high level of why you're performing alumni activities at all. I do think there are some standards that apply broadly, and, and we can talk about that a little yeah. bit if you want. Yeah. Um, you know, the the obvious one, we've already been talking about events. Events are, it's important to, to differentiate. This is really a critical point that comes up a lot in my consulting work. It, important to differentiate when you're doing measurement between measuring inputs and measuring outcomes. So back in, in the 80s and 90s, when I was starting out, if someone said, look, your job is to do 100 events this year and attract 1,000 people, those were the outcomes at the time. That was considered the result of your work. If you fast forward to today, I think we have a more nuanced view of things, and I think it's improved. And I think that the events and the number of attendees are seen as inputs, but in and of themselves are not representative of any kind of success. What you have to ask is, if we had an event, or if we had a volunteer job for someone to do and they did it, or we had a, a solicitation that we sent for phil philanthropic support, you have to ask, what happened as a result of this person attending the event or being a volunteer or making a donation? And that's when you start to identify the impact of your program. And those are the outcomes that you want to be tracking, ideally, overall for your alumni engagement so, program. So you know, the vast majority of engagement teams are under the umbrella of advancement, right? Thereby that, mm -hmm. that philanthropy is, is, is a piece of the puzzle, right? You're trying to figure out the implications from engagement to, to give it, right? And, right, right? and how to align those things. But it doesn't have to sort of be that way, right? Or at least you could think of it, and I think we talked about it in, in part one, that activation is the result of the engagement work, right? And you're, and you're tracking that at the individual level, thereby sort of saying that the way we are measuring success is the, the number of contactable alum, alumni increases and the percentage of alumni that are activated, thereby participating is what, is what matters. And so you're, you're sort of purely working towards Mm -hmm. a bigger number of participating alumni of the percentage of the entire population. And it could have nothing to do with philanthropy. Maybe that seemingly that could, that could be a, it's likely to be a result, a result of that activation, but it's not explicitly about it. Right. And one of the things that makes alumni engagement metrics tricky to choose and track is that word that you just use, result, is something the result of something else. And that implies that you could find out what caused a particular behavior or a particular outcome. When in fact, we're very unlikely to know exactly why somebody made a particular gift or decided to become a volunteer or showed up at an event. And even if we could figure out what led to those outcomes, we would discover that it was actually a combination of different things. It wasn't just well, we sent a solicitation and that's the only thing that influenced them to make a gift. So instead of trying to determine causation, we, we look for correlations. And I think to do that, you can start to compare different data points. And the good news is that that gives you a more sophisticated understanding of how the combination of things you're doing influences people's behaviors. The bad news is it, it's sort of um, it's a lot of extra work compared to just counting how many people showed up at an event. And it requires a specific 
skill set that isn't always present yet in advancement offices. Yeah, skill set and position, right? Like an actual like position description written well, for someone to primarily right. manage. So, so, so yeah, here's, here's how I think of it. In terms of data management associated with metrics, you know, you need at least three things, right? So first, and again, this sounds obvious, but not to be overstated, um, you need good data. <laughs> you actually, if you're going to have a data analyst position, you, you need data, right? And that data exists in most advancement shops within a unit called advancement services. Well, actually, yeah, ideally. But in fact, and, and we discover this in our consulting work constantly, that data live in a lot of, you know, squirreled away on a spreadsheet in the um, School of Arts and Sciences on an, on an administrative assistance desk. And they may actually have records of dozens or hundreds of alumni who attended events at professional conferences or industry meetings. And that information actually never gets to advancement services to get input into the central database at all. Yeah. So. So one of the issues you have with data is data collection sort of policies and procedures and processes. So that's the first thing you have to kind of look at is how leaky is the pipeline of data coming into advancement services so that we know as much as possible is getting recorded as efficiently and accurately as possible in the in the main database. That's the first question. And by the way, in terms of what we see when we go out into different institutions and, and analyze this in our consulting work, we find that institutions, for obvious reasons, are really, really, really good about recording giving data. They have really accurate records of who gave, how much they gave, what they gave for, and so on. So you can calculate things like average gift size, total dollars, number of donors, donor retention rates, gift frequency, all those things. So the metrics on the philanthropy side are, are pretty accurate. Then you get into the event stuff, and you find that because very often because of structures, being ineffective, that a lot of the event data gets lost. So at a large institution that's decentralized, the Department of Computer Science may not tell the advancement services staff that they had 100 people at a reception um, in Silicon Valley. And or they may say we had 100 people, but we didn't get their names, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. so so the data don't get recorded. And then when you get into volunteerism, we find that many institutions know roughly the number of volunteers or they can kind of guesstimate how many alumni volunteers they have, but they don't record instances at the lower levels of volunteerism in their database. So if you're on the alumni board and you're one of 20 board members worldwide, that's probably in your record in the database. If you were at a networking event in Austin, Texas, and you showed up to help hand out name tags and it was the first time you ever volunteered, your name probably doesn't reflect that in in your record in the database at the alumni office or in the advancement office. So, so there are problems with collecting data that I think every organization should try to address as well as they can. Then the last thing is, as you said, you actually need analysts. You find today that a lot of advancement shops don't have that skill set baked into a position description. There is somebody doing data analysis, but they might be doing it because they like numbers or they have a, you know, a degree in statistics and they agreed to do it. But it's not still not widespread that it's formally built into advancement positions. If it is, it tends to be in the service of um, fundraising per se, and it's much more used for something like um, a campus that's in a capital campaign is doing predictive modeling for major gift prospects. 
And as a result, when the alumni director shows up and says, hey, we have some data that we want analyzed so that we can try to assess alumni engagement other than philanthropy, you know, very often they have to kind of go to the back of the queue. And um, in many cases, the analysis never gets done. Mm -hmm. So you can be very good at collecting data, but if it just sits in Razor's Edge or, or your advanced database, it's actually not not useful at all. And those are some of the things that we encourage our our clients to address in, in their um, in their structure and in their organization. Well, that's interesting. Let me ask you this. Do you think that one of the goals when it comes to engagement metrics or one of the requirements, I should say, is that engagement metrics, registrations, volunteerism, but not just that, uh, like email click-throughs and social media engagement should all be in side-by-side in the same database? Like, should we try to figure out how to make it work with Razor's Edge? Or can you use an engagement data-specific tool? And what are your thoughts there? I think that's probably a function of scale. I've seen, you know, you see a lot of different models set up. A lot of them were set up simply because, you know, we're using the tools we have. And it may be that the person who's responsible for that isn't an expert in data analysis or doesn't know what some of the tools are. I think that the basics that you need, however, don't require anything much more sophisticated or complicated than your central advancement database, your CRM system like Advance or Razor's Edge or whatever you're using, and somebody who's pretty good with Excel and pivot tables. Where it gets tricky is the reporting, which is how do you need the information to be displayed so that other people can understand it or interpret it or explain it? And we do see increasingly now advancement shops that have someone who's an expert or is skilled at data visualization and presenting visual representation of important data beyond just a bar graph or a pie chart like you would generate in Excel and are starting to use tools like Tableau and things like that. That's not my own area of expertise, so I I can't say, you know, what the right combination is. But I will say that I think it's easy to get caught up in trying to find fancy tools to help you do the work at the expense of actually making really fundamental business decisions about what is the work that we should be doing in the first place. So I, I focus more squarely on make good decisions about what data to record and whether it shows you impact or outcomes. And um, uh, if it's uh, a question of, you know, how do we crunch the numbers or how do we generate the the pie chart, that's that's a little bit outside my area of expertise. What, what about engagement as a byproduct of other of like of, of marketing another uh, program, you know, so if, take, for example, the you have an article on your website that's promoting your reunion that's coming up and you're trying to drive traffic to that website. You post it on Facebook and tons of people chime in on Facebook in the comments and shares mm-hmm. and likes. And all of a sudden you have this really rich data coming in that Facebook owns. But what should we do with it? Yeah, well. The good news about a lot of the social media tools is that they are increasingly providing strong analytical tools for social media managers, for example, to use to analyze their their work. I think it tends to be the case that those tools like Facebook Analytics end up getting used to fine tune the timing and type of content used for publishing purposes. 
I'm not sure that that data gets used as much on the back end to determine what effect or impact the information had when it was broadcast. So to, to give you an example, we might say like it's Throwback Thursday and we're going to post a nostalgic photo on Instagram. We can pretty easily discover how engaging that is to our followers compared with something we posted on Monday, which was a link to an, a press release about the English Department Teaching Award. But I'm not sure a lot of shops are, in the alumni shop at least, are uh, incorporating what they learn back into assessing how effective their programming is. I think they're using it to sort of say, hey, let's do more nostalgic photos and less press releases from the English department. Uh, but that's kind of as far as it goes. Yeah. Having said that, I, I do think that um, one of the important aspects of effective measurement is the kinds of collaborations and partnerships, both within advancement and across campus, that allow you to take advantage of the expertise and skill sets that exist outside of the alumni office so that there are people who are experts in assessing the efficiency and the effectiveness of communications, for example. And that means you should have a relationship with the marketing communications folks so that they know what's important to you and they understand how knowing it will benefit the entire institution. Those are those kinds of strategic partnerships we talked about in our last conversation, which I think should exist between the alumni team and student affairs, the academic units, the rest of advancement, the communications people, um, admissions, athletics, you name it. You know, I often, I often think that one of the alignments that might best suit best practices and engagement metrics is sort of an, an advancement communications led strategy whereby, you know, you've got a tool like Evertrue, right? And I think there are others popping up, which allows you to look at the content on the social web that your stakeholders are interacting with at the individual level. Like, so who's liked what, who's commented on what, <laughs> and then have their giving information and or wealth information side by side so that you could segment those people and solicit them for something that they're they're clearly interested in, right? Athletics for those who keep, mm -hmm. keep liking all the football posts or mm -hmm. uh, uh, arts and sciences for someone who keeps, you know, loves an announcement about a new dean that's arrived. Mm -hmm. So it seems like, you know, the engagement metrics have moved so like far from where they began, but now we got to figure out all this recording has to result in segmentation, right? Mm -hmm. In, in mm -hmm. terms of solicitation. Is that, do you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, and actually, it's it's a good um, reminder of the fact that there are two levels on which these analyses can be applied. So when we talk about metrics for alumni programs, you know, we tend to start out talking about it as program wide. You know, what percentage of all alumni are engaged, for example? And that's good to know because it gives you sort of a baseline for your overall program. But segmentation is important for business reasons and is really beneficial. And the question is, at what point is it, at what point do you transition from a functional standpoint from talking about alumni at large or even a group, a subgroup of alumni like the class of 86 or history majors or people in finance or former athletes and then transition into talking about individual alumni? Because from um, a fundraising standpoint, especially at higher gift levels, that individual awareness of what is important to someone, what they're interested in, how they're likely to engage becomes really, really critically important for a gift officer to know about. So segmentation 
is important. We know from anecdotal and also from research results that audiences expect offerings like events and communications to be more tailored to them as individuals. If you don't have the ability to customize your news feed from the university, you sort of feel like, wow, these guys are really behind the times because I can tweak my subscriptions to other services to account for my specific interests and so on. How come Alma Mater isn't letting me do that? So that's an increasing pressure. Segmentation also helps you identify things that are sort of on the the bell curve of of, uh, the edges of the bell curve of effectiveness. And let me give you an example. So I said a minute ago, you might have a, a percentage of engagement for all alumni. Let's say you take alums who went to an event or made a gift or volunteered, you add them together, you divide that by the total number of alumni, and that's the percentage of alumni who are engaged in some way. That's great for all alumni, but then what you can do is for any segment you can identify within your database, like one of those cohorts I was just describing, people from a, with a certain major or people from a class year or people in a certain profession, you can find out who's underperforming as a segment. If they're not doing as well as your average, that might be the lowest hanging fruit for improvement on a strictly numerical basis, and you may want to help them with their engagement as a group. Consequently, uh, or, or, or conversely, you could look and see who's outperforming the average. Who, What cohort has a much higher than average engagement? And you can sort of go to school on that and, and, and do it as a case study and say, wow, you know, the class of 93 is much more engaged than 92 or 94. What's different about 93 that makes them more engaged? Do they have more effective leadership? Did something happen on campus that brought them more closely together during their student years, et cetera? And so using this kind of engagement metrics to slice and dice your audience into segments that you can then compare with each other is really useful. The last point that you made is also important, which is about the individual basis. It's very common for us to target, initially target people based on what we know about them, but it's very frequently the case that what we know about them is really ancient history. So if I graduated 20 years ago and haven't been regularly updating the alumni office with my interests, The only thing the alumni office might know is that I graduated 20 years ago, I had this degree, and I played that, you know, I played basketball. It's probably the case that they're sending me information from the department I majored in and maybe the sport I played, but nothing else. And so it's not always the case that individuals are getting information that aligns clearly with their own interests or their own needs. And that's where I think those tools that you were talking about, things like EverTrue, and as you know, I'm a, an advisor to one of your yeah. program sponsors, Switchboard. Yeah, right. uh, Switchboard is designed specifically to give advancement professionals the tool that they need in order to get updated information about what people's needs and interests are. And hopefully then it's up to the staff person to go back and actually act on that information. But at least you now know there's something besides the person's major from 20 or 30 years ago that you can that you can use as a way to engage them. Let's talk a little bit more about alumni network platforms in the context of engagement metrics, because I think it reflects, because I think that'll lead us into a conversation about engagement scoring. Mm -hmm. So we had the Graduate platform at um, Longwood, and we've Mm -hmm. we've used others. Switchboard is another. There's AlmaBase. There's network platforms that within that platform have another series of metrics, right, That, uh, right, that are reporting out on the community, what's happening in that community. And I know from our personal experiences at Longwood, you know, we have a hard enough time just getting into our central fundraising database 
those alumni mm -hmm. and students who have activated accounts in that network, let alone the people who are actually in the network doing something with it. Mm -hmm. How should we be thinking about the data we're getting as a result of deploying our network platforms as it relates to that central fundraising database? Well, again, I know this is getting really repetitive, but you know, I go back to the question, what are you trying to accomplish? Why do you have one of these platforms deployed at all? Are there some specific outcomes that you expected to be able to achieve as a result of using them? If you have a sort of a general awareness that it's probably good overall for people to have more engagement, not less engagement, and that's as specific as you have become, you actually don't have enough of a purpose and enough of a focus in your program to assess whether this tool is helping you and helping the institution and helping the alumni. Mm -hmm. You really need to have some specific categories of outcomes in mind. And these usually show up in a strategic plan in the form of, you know, three to five high level objectives or goals that will be achieved over the course of, you know, if it's a three year plan, they'll be achieved over the three years that the plan is is applicable. And so things like enhanced professional development and career success for students and alumni, increased access to academic teaching and learning resources from the institution. Those are the kind of level of goal that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. You can then look for evidence of those things being optimized or enhanced or improved or achieved from people who are using the tools that you have deployed, whether it's your own website or it's a third party platform or it's a social media site or something else. And you really need to kind of have a, a hypothesis up front before you just say, hey, let's get a platform and launch it. You need to have a reason for having a platform and launching it. You need to have some expectation of what outcomes that platform is going to help you achieve. And it doesn't mean that you can predict the future and that you know exactly what's going to happen. It just means that you have a purpose and a reason for using the platform mm -hmm. and you believe based on what you've seen elsewhere and common sense and what you know about your audience, that this platform will help to achieve that. Then you measure it and see if it's actually working. The one cautionary thing I would say is to never forget that the audience engaged enough to create a login and fill out their profile and come to an alumni portal is not your typical, those are not your typical alumni. Right. Um, inevitably, it's a, a, a very small fraction of your total alumni population that ends up interacting with the tool. And so you need to be careful not to think that the behavior of alumni who are in your online community is somehow representative of, quote unquote, all alumni, because it, it's only it's only representative of the alumni who are already engaged enough to participate in the system that you've deployed. And that's an important thing to remember. That's exactly right. And I've, I've always sort of looked at the, the network platforms as a place where people can move from passive to active engagement, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially, yeah. a place for them to throw <laughs> up their hands digitally and say, I'm willing to help. I'm willing to help students. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to help the university. And for that to be something that, you know, gift that's information that you'd certainly want your gift officers to have, right? Mm -hmm. And to be able to communicate with that group of people, those people who are, you know, you, who you need to deploy engagement retention strategies, right? Are participating. 
And so these folks who are your most active, you're really engaged, are, 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 are participating across your suite of engagement programs, right? They're opening, you're, you're clicking through your emails, they're sharing content on social media, they've joined your network, they've, mm-hmm. they've come out to events. And that amount of data on one person begins to pile up, right? You've got this plethora of data points right. and touch points that begins to the pile up that gives you an indication of someone's affinity, right? Or, or mm-hmm. alumni identity yeah. uh, is another term that's been, that was brought up lately. Is this the sort of, this brings us to the conversation around engagement scoring, right? Mm-hmm. Could, maybe you could talk a little bit about how that's evolved and where we are now when it comes to engagement scoring. Yeah, so um, the, the kind of headline for that question to me is about the balance between, you know, think of it as a continuum. At one extreme, you have no information about any of your alumni, right? So you have, you have zero data. At the other extreme, you know everything there is to know about all your alumni, right? Which is a scary thought, but hopefully we'll never get to that stage. In between is a sort of a range of um, knowledge, awareness, and data collection that you can execute that you want to move along that continuum. Hopefully, if you're starting with relatively little or almost no data, you want more. So the question is, as you get more and more into the realm of using data to make decisions, to design programs, to assign resources, to not lose track of the qualitative sort of subjective judgmental skills that alumni professionals need to be able to deploy based on what they know from experience based on judgment about what matters to this community. And, you know, maybe in a minute we can talk more about the difference between measuring and judging, Mm -hmm. because those are two sides of the same coin. And um, I think it's important. To your question about engagement scoring, I think, you know, the benefit of kind of scoring alumni engagement and even having individual, I'm not a fan of weighted scoring for individual alumni. I actually don't think it's a great use of of resources to say, Ryan came to an event, he gets one point, he served on an event committee, he gets three points, he chaired the committee, he gets nine points, and then have somebody typing that into the database inside your record. I, I actually don't think that's a, a but, good but aren't I, but isn't one person, so, but isn't one person who comes out to one event, a different level of, you know, affinity or identity to the university? than that one person, you know, is someone who, yeah, sure. so how but, do you, how do you account for that? Well, I account for it by, by pointing out that there are two different kinds of awareness that you can create by, by measuring engagement. One is awareness of what is Ryan as an individual alumnus engaged in, what matters to him, what's his affinity, what's his identity, as you were just saying. The second is how are we doing overall as a program in engaging alumni at large? And those are, are two different things that are both going on simultaneously. I actually think that alumni programs should nail down that second thing first. Get pretty good at assessing how well you're doing overall at moving people from being disengaged to being passively engaged, from being passively engaged to being actively engaged, and start to get a a, a sort of an impression of the landscape with regard to what fraction of our alumni are engaged in which types of activities. Then and only then should you really be able to, should you be diverting resources to tracking individual outcomes for specific people? It's not either or. You can do both simultaneously. But frequently what I've seen is this kind of individual weighted tracking actually ends up using up so many resources in terms of staff time and attention that 
it actually turns out not to be useful overall. Right. It, it doesn't scale. The, so, act of, the act of trying to track it so that you can do better is in and of itself detrimental. Yeah. So, so I, here's what I think. I think the benefit of this kind of scoring of individuals is that it, it gets alumni professionals to think rigorously about data. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The risk is that it never leaves the realm of tracking inputs, right? You want right. engagement score ideally to represent the impact of your program and how well your activities are moving you towards those objectives in your in your strategy. You also want scoring to illuminate some of those correlations I was talking about between the data points that you've captured. So knowing that someone came to two events is not really useful in and of itself. And the reason is that attending an event in itself is not an outcome. The outcome would be discovering that someone who came to two events was then four times more likely to become a donor than the person who came to one event. And then I know I need to put resources into getting event attendees to come to a second event. And these data are across the entire population or across a statistically valid segment of your audience. And you don't need to know everything about the activity of every alum. You can generalize from sufficient sample sizes using, um, you know, statistical methods. But to the point about the cost of engagement scoring, this is this is kind of what I worry about. You know, there's this idea of opportunity cost, which um, your listeners who took Econ 101 might remember. The opportunity cost is representative of by doing something like inputting a lot of data about a particular alum's activities. Every minute I spend doing that is a minute I can't spend doing something else. Mm -hmm. And you need to check to see whether there's something else you should be doing that actually would have more value to your institution or to your alumni than the thing that you've got people spending their time on. So that's the opportunity cost. The cost is the overhead required to get the data collected, to get it put into the system, to generate the reports. Sometimes you're able to automate that process to lower the cost in terms of human effort and staff time. And you need to kind of have a general grasp of at what point you're missing an opportunity because your system is such a burden to just record and, and report the data that you're, you're putting into it. So that's what makes me hesitant to recommend sort of individual scoring of particular alumni. I think you do want data to be recorded. So like I said, schools are really good at keeping track of who's a donor. They're pretty good at keeping track of who came to an event. They're not that great at keeping track of who's a volunteer or what kind of volunteer work did they do or how long did they do it. And so across engagement activities, you've got different degrees of accuracy in data recording. And um, that's just kind of where we're at as a profession right now. But I think that that there are a lot of smart people who are sort of looking at that and asking, how much do we need to know? And what does it help what? us? To, yeah. Yeah. What does what it help I us? understand about how effective we are. You know, it, this last year has been really interesting at, at Longwood in that, you know, I was really sort of hell-bent to track sort of that passive to active engagement, sort of a funnel model, right? Where at the top mm -hmm. of the funnel is click-throughs on emails, social media engagement, all the way down to intimate engagement around board participation, event attendance, that sort of thing. And mm -hmm really deployed resources towards a unique platform so that we could specifically do that and <laughs> and built routines around, okay, we're going to try to do this every quarter. We're going to go back through our emails and the people who opened them, and we're going to add that data to the system. And we're going to 
put all of our you know volunteers we're going to add that to the system on a quarterly basis and after a year of doing it what i realized is i was taxing my partners in advancement services <laughs> because it all has to be connected to your central fundraising database IDs, right? Your, right. So, so that you're tracking that Jane Smith, who is engaging with you, mm-hmm. is the same James Smith who's in the fundraising database. There now all of a sudden multiple email addresses are in the works. Right. It's just, it becomes incredibly challenging. And we, and after nine months of doing it, we're just like, you know what? We're going to need to make a shift because these, th- this work is preventing us yeah. from being yeah. proactive. Right, right, right. And that's the opportunity cost. And, and recognizing, you know, anticipating what point you're going to be now no longer benefiting the institution, you're now costing the institution some opportunity is, is a, a kind of an art and a science of leadership and management. And yeah. I, I think, I think we're good at that. I just think we need to kind of, get out ahead of it so that it's not after the fact that a lot of our organizations suddenly say, you know, we've been recording this stuff for a year and we're not even sure who these people are. Let's not do it anymore. Is that something you could have anticipated and actually avoided? You know, so it's it's a sort of a, a procedural issue and it's a sort of a process management issue. So ultimately, you know, everybody, every university has got to figure this out, right? But mm-hmm. what, do, what do advancement VPs want to be doing with engagement metrics? Well, um, there's a... You know, when you get up to the sort of the executive suite, there seems to be a tendency to focus on, you know, we talk about ROI all the time, return on investment. And I think among assistant and associate and director level staff, there's more of an awareness that return on investment can refer to all kinds of investment. It could be an investment in crafting content for social media. It can be an investment in the time and effort to deliver face-to-face events or digital communications. As you get higher up the organizational chart, investment tends to be thought of more literally in its traditional sense of dollars, budget funding. And I think it's it's important for VPs, vice presidents, and, and other leaders not to worry solely about the literal dollar value of a so-called investment in engagement. A lot of what's meaningful to alumni about their alumni community and their membership in that community is not the value that they reaped from a particular interaction. It's the feeling they get from being part of something bigger than themselves. It's the feeling they get when they're treated as an individual whose success matters to their alma mater, not being treated like a kind of an anonymous, you know, cog in a machine. And it's it's about pride that that the institution engenders when it helps someone succeed at something they're trying to do in their personal life or in their professional life. And those are returns on investment that are intangible. They tend not to lend themselves towards um, quantitative scoring. And you have to use common sense and judge. This is what I was talking about before when I referred to the difference between measurement and judgment. Mm -hmm. You need to judge your success against your expectations in addition to measuring it against some quantitative outcomes. And that, again, means having a plan that states what you are going to achieve, and that gives you the ability to go back and check and see whether there's tangible evidence that you're achieving it. And a lot of measuring really consists of that in in the alumni relations field. Don't you think an advancement VP is going to pick a gift officer over an engagement metrics person every day of the week? Well, I think, you know, historically, that's been true to some extent, and I think it's easier 
for the development director to prove the ROI of hiring one more frontline gift officer than it is for the alumni director to prove the ROI in financial terms of having a social media manager or an event planner. And that's why I think that the ongoing efforts in our profession to kind of define what solution makes sense for alumni measurement is really important. Isn't the great like black hole in all of this is time, right? It's it's what is the number of times that a person engages with us before they make a gift or how much time needs to go by between first engagement and giving such that we can, you know, deliver on ROI. It just seems like it's much more difficult to correlate that, right? It is difficult. And that's the top level, right? Because you're talking about like, well, it turns out they have to engage 17 times before they make a gift of a leadership uh, annual giving size or, you know, whatever, the, right. you know, your da- whatever your data show. But then if you work backwards from that, what are those 17 interactions? What must the quality and relevance of those interactions be in order for the person to find them motivating and to be encouraged to continue their relationship with the institution. And there are as many answers to that question as there are alumni that you're trying to engage. So you could go crazy really fast trying to um, (laughs) uh, unpack the entire set. I I think this is where it's helpful to just, I'll I'll just refer really quickly to, um, to a a sort of an effort, you know, this, there is no one size fits all because institutions are different. Um, Our professional organization case has had a group looking at this for the last couple of years. They had a task force on engagement metrics. That group of very smart people from very diverse institutions delivered a white paper early this year on their initial findings. And part of their conclusion was that there are some basic types of things you can measure. They didn't come up with a formula or an equation that every institution should use. They had representatives from public and private institutions, large and small research universities, liberal arts colleges, independent schools, non-North American institutions. And they came up with some buckets that you should put your data into. What are the things you're tracking? One of them, you know, there are four buckets that they came up with. One is volunteer engagement that we've already talked about. The other they defined as experiential engagement. And they said in the white paper that this is includes traditional face-to-face events, but includes more than that. But they don't say what more it includes. So that's, that's interesting. a little big. The third one is philanthropic engagement, which is obviously giving. And then the fourth is communication engagement, which they define roughly as interactive communication. So that would be somebody posting on your LinkedIn group or responding to you on a, on, on your website or on social media. I think that that's a good start. My concern about that approach is that it's based on how alumni engage. OK, you know, they serve on a board. They make a donation. They comment on Facebook. I am interested in looking more deeply at something slightly different, which is to categorize engagement, not on how people engaged, but according to the outcome that it achieved. What happened because of that engagement? So more specifically, rather say than count the alumni who did a thing, can you report what you did as well? Thanks for listening to part two of the Advancement Legends podcast featuring Andy Shanlin. Hope you enjoyed all the podcasts, the 36 in season one and season two. Hope you learned as much about advancement work as I did in doing the interviews. As always, please consider sharing the podcast with your friends, network, colleagues, anyone who might want to listen. Thanks for being a loyal listener each week. This is Ryan signing off.